There's this network on TV. I don't know how many of you watch it. How many of you watch the DIY network? How many of you watch that? Uh, see, some of you are like, what is that? And all these hands go up. You guys know what this is. Johnny's like, what is that? You know, so uh, it's the do-it-yourself network is what it is. It's, and uh, I heard someone mention this to me recently. I was asking him, I said, where did you learn it? This guy like, knows how to do everything. I was like, where did you learn how to do it? He's like, the DIY network. Of course, you know, that's how you learn how to do all this stuff. And, and you know, as I was thinking about that in preparation for the message this morning, I realized that people kind of fall in one of two categories. You know, either they're the DIYers, you know, the do-it-yourselfers for all kinds of everything, or they just don't know how to do it yourself. And that's kind of the category I tend to fall into, you know, the, the ones that don't necessarily know how to do it yourself. And when I start projects that go beyond minor, I usually get myself in trouble. And that's when I call one of you or I call my brother or somebody that, you know, says, can you bail me out here because I'm kind of stuck because I can't do that. So how many of you are unapologetically a do-it-yourselfer? Let me see your hands. Put your hands up. Come on, be proud. Yeah, look at that room. Look at all around that room, all these do-it-yourselfers. How many of you are a little bit like me, like you really don't have a clue how to do it yourself. Okay, there's a few honest ones out there. But notice the disproportion. Did you see that in the room? Did you notice the disproportion? I, I think some of that is uh, part of where we live because one of the things I've discovered about Lancaster Countyans is they are really, really, really good at do it, doing things themselves. I continue to be amazed at how their ability to figure out how to fix things and make things work. And someone told me recently, they said, well, John, that's what you, if you lived on a farm, that's what you have to do. You know, you have to figure out how to make things work, right? Those of you that have had that experience, you have to figure it out. There might not be resources, and there might not be income, might not be availability. You have to find a way to make it work to take care of the needs that are there. And so, for those of us that have not had that experience, we really don't have any clue what that is like. But when you think about that as it relates to life, there are some really good things about that. You can get things done. You can help. You know, you can take care. You can save some money. You can help people. But there's also some negative sides to that, where you don't need anyone and you don't ever ask for help. And some of you are thinking, and what's so bad about that? That's what some of you are thinking right now. But as we tackle the part of the the passage that we're going to look at this morning, that we've been walking our way through, I think we're going to hit on that arena today that arena this morning. And we're going to focus on this area of the, the Lord's Prayer that we started last week and finished this week, where it's going to push into our dependence, our independence, our reliance on ourselves pretty strong today. Last week, we began a two-part message, message on the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about um, how we learn to pray, how we learn to pray. And, and Johnny shared that he learned to pray just kind of listening to other people, and you listen to other people pray, and and, and you learn that some people pray with a really deep voice, you know, and some people pray with a high flady voice, you know, and, and some people have memorized prayers, you know. I was thinking of one this week, you know, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to But that's kind of morbid to pray that for a little kid, isn't it, you know? You know, there's a little theological issues there in the midst of it, you know. And, but, uh, you know, how many of us heard that and learned that, and that's how we learn to pray, right? And we began to ask ourselves this honest question. We said, did I ever learn, who, how did I learn to pray? Did I ever learn to pray? And what we discovered as we looked at this last week is that Jesus actually, with his followers, as he's introducing to them a way of living that's called kingdom living, a way of living in which you recognize and you acknowledge that you are not in control of your kingdom, 
Remember we talked about last week how the ki- your kingdom is what you control and you learn at a very early age from the time you come out of the womb how to get what you want for your kingdom. And that's often how we live life. And Jesus was offering a different way of life, not to irreligious people, not to people that didn't care about God, but to religious people, to good Jewish people who kept the law, who did all the things they were supposed to do. And he said, I have a different way of living life that I want to offer to you. And this way of living life is about me being the king in your lives. And there's one day that I will be king here and rule this whole world. But for now, you have to make the choice of allowing me to be the king of your life. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And that's what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. This message that Jesus presented to a bunch of religious people about what does it look like to make me the king of your life and to live life my way. What does that look like? And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, our guys have some and they'll pass those out to you and make them available. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, just a quick review of where we were last week. Last week we began looking at this prayer that Jesus prayed and in in Luke's version of the prayer, he said to his disciples, he said, this is how I want you to learn to pray. So this is Jesus' instructions on prayer and we talked about how often in our lives there's many things in our lives where we learn the basics we learn the foundation we learn the fundamentals and then that guides us the rest of our lives and you know the fundamentals in language is what the alphabet and so you learn a little song a b c d e f g right now none of you sing that song every day at least i hope you don't we have other things to talk about if you do but But if I started to sing that song, you could continue that song, right? It's locked in your memory. It's there. And what does that do? It gives you the ability to articulate words and language and communicate. And we said, what if we looked at the Lord's Prayer in this way? As a prayer that God invites us to to lock into our memories, to lock into our frame of thinking as a foundational way to pray. And if we laid that foundation well, then maybe that would shape our conversations with God for all of our lives. Some of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. You can say it in your sleep. Some of you still say it every day. Some of you have not. You're at the other side of the continuum where prayer is very spontaneous and there's very little structure. And I suggested to you last week that there's a place for both of those things to come together. We talked last week about um, the first part of the prayer where Jesus invites us to declare God's greatness, is the way I framed it to you, to declare God's greatness, and then second of all, to surrender my will. And I gave you all a challenge last week. I challenged you in your prayers not to go to God asking God for things, but to declare his greatness and to surrender your will. Say, God, you are amazing. You are the giver of life. You provide it all. You've given me this today. And God, I don't know what's going to come my way, but help me to be willing to follow your plans, your will, not my own. Not my own. It was really fascinating because I had conversations with people all week long, even this morning, telling me how 
challenging this was to when they sit down to pray their routine prayer for their meal, to say, how do I declare God's greatness and surrender my will at the dinner table? How do I do that when I'm praying with my kids? How do I do that when someone comes to me with a really difficult struggle that's going on in their lives? And how do I do that? And I think what it exposed to many people that I talked to this week, it exposed to us that maybe we have forgotten or maybe not really learned well some of the basics about prayer. That our prayer should always begin with a declaration of God's greatness, with a declaration of His power and His majesty and His control and His grace and His mercy and the sacrifice of His Son that gives us life and hope and peace. And the harder prayer is to pray about surrendering my will. It's real easy to tell God how great and amazing He is and you know, you just have to watch a beautiful snowfall or watch an amazing sunrise or sunset, and you're just kind of in awe of God's creative power. And... But to say, God, I'm going to turn this thing in my life over to you, and, and whatever you want, I'm good with it. That's a scary prayer. That's a hard prayer. To say, God, I don't know, I, I, I think this is what I want to do for my future when I get out of high school but what do you want me to do after high school is finished? If you're struggling financially and, and, and God's prompted you and said, I want you to trust me with this and I want you to give a little bit back to me that I bless you. And you're like, but God, I, I barely have enough and I can only pay what I have. And it's just, it's, there's, not, there's hardly any left over. And, and God says, do you trust me? You see, ultimately it's an issue of trust. Do I trust God more than I trust myself? Last night, our small group leaders were together. We get together on a regular basis and uh, spend some time encouraging one another and for training and focus. And we were talking last night how much we are oriented to manage our own lives, to make everything work the right way. That's not surrendering my will. That's me taking charge of it. And so last week, my challenge for you was to pray that prayer over this past week. And I don't know how many of you did. I don't know, maybe if you forgot, I would challenge you to even consider that for this next week or maybe even continue that. Say, you know, God, I need to do this enough that it's not hard. It's not hard. We all have those things in life, right? We start to do them. The first time it's hard. We don't know how to do it. It's kind of confusing. And then we do it again and again, and again, and again, and we're like, I could show someone else how to do this now because I do this. So maybe the question for us to ask before we even move into this week is to say, what will it take in my life for declaring God's greatness and surrendering my will to become part of the way I talk to God all the time? Because I would venture to guess if my own experience and our collective experience that doesn't do that right now. Doesn't do that. Well, this week we're going to dive into the second half of the prayer. And it's really pretty easy to remember. The first part was declare God's greatness. The second part was to surrender my will. 
And the third thing that we're going to look at that today is declaring my dependence. Declaring your dependence. That's what we're going to look at today. If, you have, if you're there in your Bibles, uh, let me read the first part of the prayer and then we'll jump in the middle. It begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, Give us today our daily bread. Pretty simple verse. Not a lot to it. But one that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, does it? Give us today our daily bread. Um, I kind of know where my bread's coming from. Go home and open the fridge and there it is. Um, My guess is most of us, if we looked in the fridge, there's enough bread in there for what? Probably the whole week, right? Maybe at least. Unless you've got to go shopping tomorrow in the snowstorm, you know. Good luck finding anything. Um, and then you go down to the freezer downstairs or in another part of the house and you open that and, oh, there's a few, there's another week or two there, you know, and go to the bank account. Well, there's plenty here, you know, and probably good for a couple weeks, maybe a few months. I think, do I really need to ask God for my daily bread? I think I have all of my bread. Not even for today, but probably for a couple weeks. You know, as parents, we don't think it's odd if our kids ask us for food. Depending on their age and sex, they ask for more of it more often than others, you know. But would you think it a little odd if your son or daughter said, can I have some bacon for breakfast? And they ate one piece and stuck the other one in their pocket and took it upstairs and stuffed it in their room, you know. Some of you have had that experience finding food in the room. I understand that. Been there, done that, you know. Starting to smell. What's smelling up here, you know? Scrambling. But, you know, you know our, we, we give our kids what they need, and we think it's odd if they want more than what they need for the moment. But do we live? How do we live? We live like we've got to have a stockpile for, you know, for the next millennium, you know? And... I'm like the next person. I don't like to run out of toilet paper and not have any in the house. It's a good idea to have some stockpiled, you know. But if you start to think about the way we live life in our culture, I don't know if you realize this, but the, the amount that we have to live off of is different than nearly every part of the world. I mean, you go to any part of the world and they, they go to get their food every single day. This verse makes sense to them. They're like, God, we we need some food today. Got a little bit. Doesn't make any sense at all to us. And it really forces us to say, what is it that God is talking about here? And and I think for us the problem is not that we have a little bit of extra, not that we're prepared for emergencies, not that we have a little more than we need. The problem is is when we put our trust in that and we rely on that to give us security for the future. That's where the problem is. You know, God knew this about the people of Israel, didn't he? He knew this about people in general. I don't know if you recall the story when the people of Israel were coming 
out of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. They crossed the Red Sea. They were now out of Egypt. Um, and they were free. But they had no food. They had no food. As slaves, they at least got fed. But now they were, didn't have anything. And in Exodus 16, God said to the people of Israel, He said this, verse 4, He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, listen to this, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The way the story goes, in the, when the people of Israel, when they came out of the, the, the land of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they needed to eat. And so God said, every morning when you wake up and you open your tent and you walk outside, there'll be manna. That's what it was called, on the ground. And he said, only take enough for today. You're like, what's, what's the harm in tomorrow? He said, only take enough for today. He said, if you take enough for tomorrow, it's going to rot. And you'll lose what you have for today. But he said, on the sixth day, because I want you to have a day different than every other day where you get to rest and enjoy the good things of life and the blessings of God and, and one another, you can collect two and it will last. You're like, how did that work? I have no idea. But it did. <laughs> For 40 years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But if you think about the message in that, what was the message in that? The message was, will you trust God for what you need for today, that he will give you what you need for today, and believe that he will meet your needs tomorrow? That's the message that's there. You know, God's not suggesting you don't work and then you don't go to the grocery store. He's not suggesting any of those things. But I think what he's calling us back to in our prayer for dependence, and so after I declare God's greatness and surrender my will, am I willing to say, God, I'm not sure what I need today, but you know what I need today. Give me exactly what I need today. may not be food. You may be good for that. Maybe God needs to give you grace to enter a very hard situation. Maybe he needs to give you the capacity to keep your mouth shut in a situation, not say anything. Maybe he needs to give you wisdom about a complex issue that you're not sure how to solve. You see, there's a whole lot that God can give to us that you and I need every single day. Maybe in uncertainty, He will give you peace, and you're not sure where that came from. But because you asked God in the beginning of your day to give you everything you need, you can look back and say, I don't know where this came from. I don't... Oh, that's right. I asked God for this. I asked God for it. So the first thing he calls us to do is declare my dependence for my daily needs. For my daily needs. The second thing is to declare my dependence for dealing with my sin. Look at verse 12. It says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, upon initially reading this, it makes it sound like 
if I forgive other people that do things wrong to me, then God will forgive me. That's what initially reading this, it kind of gives you a sense of that. You're just scratching your head a little bit saying, I'm not quite sure how that works. Well, one of the things that when you try to understand what the Bible has to say, and there's a part that you don't understand, you have to look at other places in the Bible where it talks about the same thing to give you a full understanding of that. Because the Bible was given progressively over 1,500 years. And when I look at what the Bible has to say about forgiveness, these are the elements of forgiveness the Bible talks about. Number one, that God has graciously forgiven everyone of sin. Number two, we are to forgive others to extend God's grace. Number three, if we don't forgive others, we show that we are not forgiven. And number four, forgiven people forgive others. And then number five, our forgiveness does not earn God's forgiveness. Still leaves us scratching our heads a little bit on this verse, but just hang in there with me for a moment. He talks about forgive us our debts. I think we know what that is. You owe somebody money, you pay off the debt pretty obvious in luke's translation luke's writing about this prayer he said forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us some of the older translations would use the word trespass it's really two ideas a debt is something that's owed a sin or a trespass is something done against us and really what jesus is inviting us to do is he's inviting us to let those things go to let those things go. And what happens when we are able to let those things go is something drains out of us. It drains out of us. What are you talking about, John? When I, hold, when I am unwilling to forgive someone, the Bible says what happens is a, a root of bitterness literally grows up into my heart and into my life. And this root of bitterness begins to poison and affect all my other relationships. I am unwilling to listen to other people's opinion. I become hardened and cold towards people. I become distant and removed from them. You say, oh, because I'm not willing to forgive? Absolutely. Because what has happened is I have become judge and jury in that person's life. But John, they wronged me. Absolutely they did. But John, don't they need to pay for that? Absolutely they do but it's not your job or my job to make that happen. You say, but don't they have to ask for forgiveness before I forgive them? Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Remember what he said about forgiveness? He said, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. You see, forgiveness is an issue of the heart. Forgiveness is something that has to take place on the, on the inside. You say, but John, if I forgive them, then justice will never happen. That is not true. Forgiveness and justice can coexist. But it's not our responsibility to manage both of them and control them. You say, why didn't Jesus say... 
you have been forgiven, now go and forgive. Wouldn't that made a lot more sense? I think it would have. What do you think? Would that made a lot more sense? To me, it would have. To me, it would have. And as I sat with this and thought about this, I thought maybe, just maybe, me remembering my need for God's forgiveness of my sin is greater than me being encouraged to go and forgive other people. Let me say that again. Maybe me being reminded of my need of forgiveness for my sin is more important than me being told to go to forgive other people. You say, why is that? Did you catch that fourth statement I read earlier? Forgiven people forgive people? You see, when I think about God's mercy and God's grace in my life, and I face my own sinfulness, I realize I don't deserve God's forgiveness, but He extended that to me. And I didn't want anything to do with God. He extended that to me. I didn't have anything good to offer to God, and He extended that to me. But how easily and quickly do I forget that? Sometime this week, I would encourage you to read Matthew 18 and remind yourself of the story of the man who was forgiven a massive debt, but he couldn't forgive a very, very small debt against him. I think possibly what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to not forget the massive debt that God has forgiven on our behalf. Because if I do not forget the massive debt that I could never repay back to the God of the heavens who would give up His one and only Son for me, will I be able to forgive you? No question. No question. But when I can't forgive you, that means I have forgotten and lost sight of how much God has forgiven me. You say, but John, I don't understand this because that person has wronged me and there's no way I want a relationship with them and they've wounded me and they've abused me. And I'm not suggesting that at all. Forgiveness does not mean restoration to the way things were in the past. It's not what it means. Sometimes in God's amazing mercy and grace that can happen. Sometimes it can't. But I think the thing that we have to remind ourselves is we cannot lose sight of the fact that forgiveness starts with me. And when Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray and he tells them, remember to declare God's greatness and remember to surrender your will and when you think about your own dependence... Tell him you need what, ask him what you need for today and remind yourself that you need to be forgiven and that you have been forgiven of a debt that you could never repay. 
And that will give you this unbelievable and indescribable and amazing capacity to forgive the people in your life. Who from our human perspective do not deserve to be forgiven. But from God's perspective said the only way you can forgive them is if you remember how much you've been forgiven. And so maybe this phrase is put here this way. For us every day and throughout the day, remember our debts. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he wiped the slate clean. the blood of Jesus. And because of that, you and I can extend something to people who do not deserve it, just like we didn't. Without forgiveness, I cannot cannot see who I truly am. And I cannot let go of many little offenses which need to be covered with love and then clearly confront the major offenses and then be willing to let them go as God has forgiven me. So in declaring my dependence, I come to God every day and I said, God, this is, give me what I need today. In declaring my dependence, I come to God every day and I say, God, It's easy for me to forget how much you've forgiven me. Help me never to lose sight of that so I can offer that to others. And one final thing that he says in verse 13. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. This word temptation is a word that when we think of temptation, and we often think of sin, doing something wrong. I'm tempted to to do something wrong. Again, it leaves us scratching our heads a little bit because there's another place in the Bible in James 1.13 where it says God does not tempt us to sin. So we're kind of wondering, lead us not into temptation, but you don't tempt us to sin. The Bible's also very clear what God does do is God does allow trials and testing, different than temptation, that leads us in, trials and testing into our lives so that we will grow and that we'll deepen our walk with God. You know, another way of saying this might be God spare us from the bad things that might happen in our lives. I was pretty challenged when I read this. I thought, I I don't know that I asked God for that. You know, we talk about how God's plan is for us to deepen us and grow us, and that means difficulties and things, but I don't think I pray very often. God, don't let me go down that road. Jesus said in the garden with his followers, he said, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
Your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. So even Jesus had an awareness of this, that there are times in our lives when we're prone to fall into temptation. Right? The other night, I don't know what it was, but I just had this craving. We had wheat checks. I just had this craving for wheat checks. I don't know what it was. Ate a couple handfuls, put it back in the cabinet. Came back a half an hour later, ate a couple more. You know. Came back a little bit later, said, Christine, can you bring that box up? I'm laying in bed. I don't know what it was about wheat checks. You know. I like wheat checks. I, honestly, I probably haven't eaten them in two years. You know. There's just something about that moment in time. I honestly couldn't tell you anything. I had a full meal that day, full dinner, you know. There's just something about that moment. Bizarre. You ever have that happen where you, you just kind of out of the blue, just something just kind of pulls you in and you're like, I don't know what that was all about, you know. It just reminds us that there's this propensity in us to get pulled into things and, and drug into things that are just not really good for us and sometimes can really be bad. Really be bad. And we know when those times are, when life is really confusing, when life is really, really hard. Talked to someone this week going through an incredibly difficult time in their life and I, I cautioned him. He said, I know, I know, my buddies are trying to get me to do this and do this and Unfortunately, I've done a lot of that, and I know where that leads me. But he's at a place where that pull is really, really strong. Notice the second part about this. He says, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And I believe there what he's referring to is Satan and his influence in our lives and our propensity to sin. And I think for us, we do not realize the power of sin and of Satan in this world that we live. I just don't think we realize it. You know, I was thinking about this. It's a little bit like our dog. We have a dog, Casey. She's a beagle. And if you know anything about beagles, you, they, you can't teach them the word come. It just like, it doesn't even register in their ears. It goes right over their head. And, you know, she'll sit. If you've got food, she'll lay, you know, but come, never heard it. Never even hears it. So every once in a while, you know, and on the bitter cold days, she'll go out to the bathroom, wave a treat, and she'll come back. But, you know, if it's a nice day, she'll go out and she'll just race around the yard. And then she kind of expands her circle. You know, beagles do that. They run in circles. And they, then they start to expand their circle. And, and we live, you know, we have a street right next to our yard. And so this, this circle gets expanded. It goes right out in the street, you know. So she's running around, having a grand old time, and it's right in the street. No concern, no worries at all about traffic. None whatsoever. You know, my son, my daughter, my wife and I, why, Casey, get out of the street, you know. She has no awareness that danger is right around the corner. None whatsoever. For us, it's crystal clear that moment she crosses that sidewalk in the street, boom, we know danger is right there. And we know that if a vehicle came around the corner, it could end her life. That fast. That fast. And as her owners, 
for all of us, regardless of our age, we have an acute awareness of this. Acute awareness. Even our neighbors who know our dog, because she's visited them often, you know, when she's been out, you know, they're like, hey, your dog's, you know, and they're like, yes, we know, we know, thanks for letting us know, you know. Everybody in the street knows about the danger, but not her. She's just right around the street, you know. And I think sometimes that's how we view sin, and that's how we view the evil one. Well, we're just kind of going about life, and boom, we just run out of the road, and everybody around us say, no, 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 stop, stop, no, no, don't, don't do that, don't go there. Do you not realize? And we're like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And we're just like that dog that just wants to run around in circles and not paying attention to it at all. It's no surprise that this is how Jesus ends this prayer. He says, ask God for what you need every day. Be aware of how much you've been forgiven so you can extend that to others. But don't lose sight of the fact that you live in a broken world, you live in a fallen world, and there is temptation, and there's nothing more that the evil one would like for you to do than to wreck your life. And don't assume this can't happen to you. Don't naively just run around in circles saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, and expand that circle a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. I don't think that we need to be looking around every bush and under every rock for a demon there, but listen to what Peter said. He said this, he says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, destroy. Lions don't attack a herd, do they? Water buffalo, they don't attack the herd. Who do they attack? Young, weak, one that's separated from the herd. That's who they attack. Say, John, how do I avoid this? How do I know it's out there? How do I be aware of this? Can't do it on your own. Can't. Can't. You have to have other people involved in your life. You have to have other people that are watching your back, that are aware as you start to get close because you've got blinders on and you can't see and can point that out and say, hey, are you aware of? I'm going to bring you back. So this prayer is a prayer asking God to keep us from the things that lead to sin that can wreck our lives. And there are times we get caught. There are times we get trapped. There are times we know there are things going on in our lives that are sinful that will lead to dangerous, destructive, deadly places in our lives. And Jesus says we need to ask every day to say, God, help me. Because it's too easy for us to run around in a circle and right in that road into something that could take us out. In most of our Bibles, if you look at those right now, the prayer ends. And some of you might wonder, but what about thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever? Amen. 
just a quick brief explanation for you. Um, that was a phrase that was at the end of most Israelite prayers, most Jewish prayers. Some of the original copies of the New Testament that they found had that inscribed there. But the copies that they found that were closer to when Jesus lived did not include it. So it's probably added by a scribe a little bit later. So what are we going to do with this this week? Maybe some of you are thinking, John, you told us to, last week, pray about God's greatness and surrender my will, and now it's all about what we need. So is that what you're going to tell us to do? Just ask God for what we need all week? You know, I don't need to tell you to do that. You'll do it anyway. So, No, I want to give you a different challenge this week. Um... I told you last week that the Jewish community, they would often pause to pray morning, midday, and evening. That's what they would do. And as I mentioned, for some of you, this prayer it rolls off of your tongue just like the ABCs. But not for all of us. Not for all of us. And so I want to challenge you this week to say the Lord's Prayer when you wake up in the morning to say it in the middle of the day when you pause, maybe for lunch, and say it in the evening, you're there with your family around dinner when the day comes to an end. And as you do that, I want you not only to say these words, but I want you to ask God to help you think about His greatness and think about surrendering your will and think about declaring my dependence on Him and remind yourself how much you need God. And so my challenge for you for the next seven days, 21 times, is to do that. And ask that as we do that, that God would sink this foundational prayer deep into the roots of our lives and would alter the way that we talk to Him. The band is going to come forward, and as they're coming forward, they're going to lead us in a song just to close us and remind us about the significance of that. As they're doing that, would you pull out your, there's an insert in your, the sheet, would you pull that out? And the, the Lord's Prayer is on the back side. Just want to invite you to take that. Just turn it over. Let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, I kind of wonder if this prayer becomes a way that we live out our lives. A foundational component for the way that we talk to God. Makes me wonder what our prayers will be like. What change the things we talk to God about? What change what matters to me and what matters to you. 
kind of think it might. So I want to invite you this week to join me in praying this prayer. And as we pray this prayer, remind yourself how much we need God. The words to this are really just a personal prayer that you can say.